What is X? I'm your regular host, Justin E.H. Smith, and this is a podcast of The Point Magazine. If you've listened to us before, you know the rules on each episode I have on a guest, and we discuss a question of the form, what is X, somewhat in the manner of Socrates in various of Plato's dialogues. There are three possible outcomes of this discussion, either agreement, disagreement, or aporia, which is Greek for dead end, and we'll know when we get there which it's going to be. Today, uh, we're having a discussion of history. What is history? With my old friend, Graham Burnett, who teaches history at Princeton University. He's also an investigator in the research collective Estar Ser, and I've worked with him on many projects over the years, so I'm delighted to have him on. Graham is uh, someone who has put considerable thought into questions of a meta-historical nature uh, into the reflection on what it is exactly a person is doing when they claim to be researching a historical topic, what the proper methodology is for this, but also what the nature of the object is. So to get things started, Graham, I gather from conversations I've had with you in the past that there's a certain understanding of history that for you cannot cut it that is summarized in the kind of 19th century positivist uh, motto, V.S. Eigentlich gewesen, which I think is attributed to the historian Leopold von Ranke, that is to say, how it actually was. This motto has dominated in research in history over the 20th and early 21st centuries and holds that it's the historian's job to produce for us uh, nothing but the facts of how things actually were. Whereas in your view, if I've understood uh, your line of reasoning, again, from other conversations, this is wholly inadequate to the actual object of historical investigation. Do I have you right? Well, maybe we'd start just by, um, you know, clearing a space in which to have a conversation that needs to try to get at uh, something very basic. So, yes, the the Ranka quote comes up a lot, um, probably more often as a, a straw man than anything else um, in, say, uh, an intro grad seminar on methods in history. And then you'll very quickly be off and running, trying to sort out exactly what kind of a historian Ranka was and what kind of thing history uh, as practiced by Ranka in the 19th century in German-speaking Europe uh, was. Um, but let's let's do this instead and just start um, as if we were uh, wandering around the stoa or whatnot. 
by asking a couple of questions. Um, and, and I can ask them of you and we can proceed that way. So maybe my first question would be, you know, by history, do we mean what happened in the past? Justin, could we shorten this podcast down to a tidy 3.5 minutes <laughs> by letting the church bells ring right now and, and <laughs> simply by agreeing that history is what happened in the past? Does that work for you? Well, there are a couple of reasons why it doesn't. You've turned the tables on me a bit uh, abruptly and jarringly, but I would say I'm somewhat attached to the view that, say, the uh, asteroid that hit the Earth 65 million years ago shouldn't be within the scope of historical inquiry uh, or, say, the breaking off of the moon from the early formation of the earth um, <laughs> that's in the past but mm -hmm. there seems to be a different scholarly field that's better equipped to pursue that it seems different enough from the revocation of the edict of nantes or whatever <laughs> that different people should be doing it so mm -hmm. the past, yes, uh, at a minimum, but not the entirety of the past. That feels right to me. And mm -hmm. as we might proceed in a, an inquiry like this by <clears throat> uh, studying what amounts to the usage of our time, um, meaning how, how do people uh, talk about history? What do they mean when they say history? Uh, at least, to, again, to get ourselves some reference points in the space in which we're going to stake out uh, potentially a position, then we might say some people talk uh, as if history is what happened in the past. And while there's something to that, um, that's not going to suffice for us in this conversation. So that's, that's a, a reference point in the field of usage, but it's not going to uh, hold us um, or satisfy us entirely. And then, you know, I would ask another question, which also feels in that space of usage. There might be stuff that happened in the past, like the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. And in some sense, that happened. Then there's the question of sort of uh, what people have said about that over time, meaning the work of characterizing that event um, after the fact. And there's no question that if we just kind of went out and talked with people, people would pretty comfortably, I think a lot of them, assign the term history to all that stuff that had been um, written over the last couple of hundred years about the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. So in that sense, we're really talking about history being something like the process of understanding the events, probably most of them involving humans to some extent, that occurred uh, in the past. Could we just sound the church bells now, agreeing that that's what history is? Well, no. I mean, maybe we could, except that that gives us two very different objects with two very different natures. 
both of which we seem compelled to call history, right? History is both the revocation of the Edict of Nantes and it's everything that people write about the revocation subsequently. Um, and why we should call both of these things by the same name seems to me enough of a reason to tarry a while longer. Yeah, I feel it. I feel it. And and so there may be a paradox in that duplex nature of our usage, or as sometimes can happen, the answer for which we're feeling may lie in precisely what initially appears to us a paradox. That is that history is used um, uh, colloquially to refer both to stuff that happened uh, in the past mm. and to the process of um, recovering, describing, characterizing, documenting um, those events, mm -hmm. and, and also to the sort of process, the forms of knowledge, the modes of inquiry by which what happened in the past uh, is um, determined or kind of made to feel satisfactory in any given time and place. And there's one, there's a third thing that wants to be in the mix, I think, too, which is that history um, is a is a discipline at this point. So even a building on campus kind of thing, uh, a, a guild, a group of people. Um, and we we would probably feel that we cheated if we sounded the church bells agreeing that history is uh, that social aggregation uh, that declares itself uh, historians. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it would it would be a kind of a squeaking out the side of the work of consensus because there'd be some truth in that. What's history? It's um, the thing done by the group of people who've all backslapped each other uh, adequately uh, and blessed each other as historians. Mm -hmm, that would mm -hmm. be again a sort of sociologically. Um, sufficient answer, but it might not please us in the kind of mode of fundamental inquiry that I feel that we're after in a session like this. Does that feel right to you? Yeah, that's super interesting because I'm often tempted to revert to that um, kind of technical definition for philosophy. Philosophy is what is pursued under the banner of philosophy, <laughs> whereas I feel that's kind of a a mere placeholder definition that we have to use for philosophy, unlike all the other fields of inquiry that have an object we can point to. Um, and in the case of history, I feel like that object has to be past events, even if uh, the, the, the merely technical definition also recommends itself. Hmm. That's super interesting, and I don't want us to get sidetracked, but I would mm -hmm. say that it might be uh, that the sociologists are in some deep sense right, and that um, your sense that you're comfortable with a kind of functionally uh, pragmatic, sociological, descriptive definition of philosophy a lot of the time, whereas other modes of intellectual enterprise ought to be uh, defined substantively is just a function of your being closest mm. to philosophy and thereby discerning that a substantive definition cannot be achieved. Right. Um, whereas if you were equally immersed in any of the other ones, you would 
come to feel that they can't be satisfactorily defined substantively. Wow, that's wild. Uh, but, yeah. but let's let's keep let's kind of keep hacking our way uh, toward the enterprise. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. What, what is history? Again, it feels like uh, I want to ask you as a philosopher friend a super hard question that's relevant to our next step in this conversation, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. Because if history has something to do with knowledge, we're going to have to feel that we have a shared sense of what knowledge is mm-hmm. in order to achieve consensus as to the nature of history. Now, mm-hmm. we might decide that history is not a kind of knowledge, mm-hmm. but a couple of the sort of colloquial definitions we've so far floated depend on the claim that history is a kind of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is exactly where you might need a philosopher. And so um, can you help me with that one? Well, you know, I've been interested in the now antiquated and largely forgotten sense of history that was still very common in the early 18th century that typically divided it into history, natural, and civil. And there, the uh, kind of knowledge that was sought after in at least natural history was historical not because it came from the past, but because it focused on what were sometimes called res singulares or singular things or singular instances. And so there was almost an elision between empirical investigation, or as Francis Bacon would say, laying your notions by in order to uh, count the individuals or enumerate and the idea of history, right? And so if it was to count as knowledge, then it would be uh, indeed from a philosophical point of view, a kind of degraded or second rank knowledge at best. But again, that notion of history has been largely forgotten, I think. And we might learn something by thinking about why uh, until relatively recently, the two ran together. That is uh, natural history or collecting of individual botanical specimens and so on, on the one hand, and civil history or accounting for Caesar's crossing of the Rubicon or whatever, on the other hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, I wouldn't want us to get too far afield, but you're invoking natural history. Mm-hmm. Um puts me as a historian of science very much in mind of the uh the most traditional dyad juxtaposed with natural history was of course most often natural philosophy yeah so whereas you could have um natural history and civil history on the other hand you could have natural philosophy uh, Mm. versus natural history and again there the distinction is one of particulars versus generals that is Natural history is the study of particulars, yeah, and natural philosophy um, 
emerged as an inquiry into uh, laws, dynamics, forces, general covering rules, um, as opposed to the enumeration of specifics. Um, Right, right. And emerged as a field that one could generally hope to have secure knowledge in, unlike history that seemed to be on a weaker ground, right? Um, I mean, that's, again, a hard question. I'm not sure in the 17th or 18th century that um, natural history operated under a kind of cloud of uh, of weakness mm. in relation to natural philosophy. It was only <clears throat> gradually that the predictive power of um, mathematically analytic mm-hmm. law-based inquiries into nature sort of set, I think, uh, new bars for what was achievable. Right, right, right. In in the understanding of the natural world. I right. mean, someone like Linnaeus uh, would never have ceded ground, I don't think, um, to a, a Newton or whatnot. On the contrary, you know, what those folks uh, considered themselves to be doing as natural historians uh, was exactly bringing to the field of particulars uh, the the kind of um, mastery of insight that had been achieved uh, by Newton with respect to the to dynamics and mm-hmm. the movement of celestial bodies. So lots of those folks well into the 19th century were claiming that they were going to be the, the Newton of um, the natural world, the Newton of plants and animals. Right. And right. So, but you know, let's, let's swing back around the work of uh, history. So I had asked yeah. well, what's knowledge because yeah. um, if history is a form of knowledge, we need to understand what knowledge is in order to understand what kind of a thing right. uh, history is. Well, maybe rather than just going, uh, trying to go back to antiquated distinctions, I'll just uh, bite philosophically and say that my own conviction is that uh, historical knowledge is knowledge of a very particular kind to the extent that uh, you need to uh, draw on the faculty of the imagination in order to obtain anything at all. Otherwise, you have only kind of present evidence uh, for what was going on in the past, but without uh, without mixing it with the imagination, you're not going to be able to um, to come up with anything compelling at all. And of course, imagination has always been a suspicious mental faculty for philosophers, but I think it's pretty clear that you can't get very far without it. Hmm. That's cool. I'm going to just sort of um, underscore the coolness of that and and maybe step a little bit to the side for a Mm -hmm. second. Um, The question that would occur to me next and probably occurs to lots of your listeners is um, if imagination defined however you'd work to define it is necessary for historical knowledge, which it might be, is this 
mental capacity, imagination, comparably necessary for oh, a bunch of the other kinds of knowledge that we can um, invoke? And I feel like that's a great that's a great question, but maybe you need to do a separate podcast on the imagination. Mm-hmm. I'll go with you so far as to say that uh, history feels like a you know, special or distinctive kind of um, knowledge. Um, whether in the end that specialness or distinctiveness hinges on the role of the imagination, I'm going to bracket. You know, I would say that it's a form of um, knowledge that is a little hard for us these days fully to feel. Mm-hmm. And partially, it's a little hard for us fully to feel in its particularity. And and I may myself have trouble um, articulating or invoking its specialness because I think there is an apparatic dimension to this mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a fundamental way. But it isn't a kind of knowledge mm-hmm. like the paradigmatic forms of knowledge to which we most of us now so readily point, meaning techno-scientific knowledge. Um, if we were just, again, to um, set up as, as normative the kind of knowledge possessed by folks in um, mathematics, with all the complexities associated with mathematical knowledge, there, there is something very different about the kind of knowledge that is afforded by history. And, you know, without uh, sort of opening up a kind of whole graduate syllabus and spending a semester on this together, I would say that if I had to pick one word to characterize the difference, it would be uh, interpretation, Mm -hmm. interpretive. Mm -hmm. I would say that historical knowledge is an interpretive knowledge. Mm the end of which is understanding. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to bracket whether at some level the knowledge of the physical, biological worlds are also ultimately interpretive forms of knowledge Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. pursue understanding. Instead, I'm going to um, simply say that the history of the sciences has brought us an account of the best kind of knowledge to have, which is rooted in a dream of objectivity. And we have you know, a wonderful book by Dawson Gallison, which historicizes that ambition to achieve objectivity, suggests it itself can be historicized, but mm-hmm. take that or leave it. The reality is objective knowledge deeply by the time you reach the second half of the 20th century is pervasively predicated on knowledge that is like without us in some aspirational sense. Mm-hmm. Knowledge that is independent of us that that fantasy that uh do i even want to call it a fantasy it may not be a fantasy that 
uh, ambition is the ambition that most readily surfaces when we think about knowledge. Mm. And what is so hard to wrap one's head around with historical knowledge, like with other forms of knowledge pursued in the humanistic fields, is that they can't be what they need to be chasing that ideal. Mm -hmm. Which is not to say you cannot have that kind of knowledge about stuff in the past. You know, you can you can achieve pretty high degrees of confidence in the facticity of past events. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, approaching, I would say, um, you know, mathematical certainty about stuff from the past. The problem is that if you just construe the work of history as the science of establishing as objectively as possible the uh, stuff of the past, the events of the past, say, uh, or if you want to bracket the term events, say facts of the past, you have not given yourself history in the form you're going to want it. And I can say, you know, quickly why I think that's the case, um, because Historical knowledge without us misses us, but it's us, it is we who are centrally at issue when we go to the past. Mm-hmm. Put it a different way, historical knowledge is knowledge that is an arbitraging of historical consciousness, meaning it's the work of understanding who we are now by reference to what has occurred in the past. Mm-hmm. There isn't a sort of knowing entity that floats away from us who can do anything with history. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, let me stop there because um, I can crash on that shore a few more times, but I want to mm-hmm. see whether um, trying it that way has gone across or what you see as the problems with that effort to sort of. Well, there's one problem that uh, is uh, starting to nag at me as you talk. And that is that it seems to me that the armies of people who conceive their work in history as dating watermarks and stuff like that, and nothing more than that, and who would insist accordingly that history is not uh, the work of interpretation, those people are providing an important prophylactic, so to speak, against uh, the abuse of history by people who conceptualize the past as a pure resource for coming up with stories that work for their own group's advantage, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Isn't that a real worry? It's absolutely a real worry. So I, I guess I, 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 it seems to me that uh, the, the two would simply be 
kind of doing complementary work, working alongside one another, uh, and you would have the people who are kind of more disposed to uh, the interpretative endeavor and the, the ones who are more disposed to the watermark dating endeavor, and uh, hopefully they'll remain on good terms because they need each other. Mm-hmm. Well, these are some of the, you know, very hardest problems that I feel like uh, I know how to think about. Mm-hmm. So I I don't want to suggest that there's some kind of uh, easy or facile answer here. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the hardest idea to inhabit is really that uh, they're pretty much is no uh, inhuman knowledge that we have access to. Mm -hmm. So that even the thing that we're sort of setting up as exemplary of the facticity kind of history, Mm -hmm. the dating of the watermarks kind of stuff, um, with its sort of no interpretation here, mom, <laughs> uh, way of establishing the facts of the matter mm-hmm. really has to be understood as itself entirely bound by time. Mm-hmm. And that while those kind of benchmark anchor points of facticity established by that kind of work Mm. in 1980 set the framework for what can be said responsibly in 1980 because they're the Mm. immovable uh, surveyor's marks in (laughs) the uh, landscape of the real Mm. by 1990 they've moved right and by 2000 they've moved again Mm mm-hmm and this sort of strange fact, which history teaches mm-hmm. about how knowledge works, mm-hmm. is easy to uh, tactically forget at mm-hmm. crucial moments, but doesn't go away simply because we turn a blind eye to it. Right. What is known is historical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is the sort of strongest kind of claim concerning the ineluctably interpretive nature of our inquiries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is all very compelling. I think, again, here we're bumping up against the different professional trajectories, the different disciplinary trajectories we, uh, we have. For myself, I I think I I may have told you about this before, I wrote a dissertation on Leibniz and was at first trained up in an Anglo-American philosophy milieu where they ascribed a few beliefs to this guy named Leibniz and they said, 
But it, this is this is from P.F. Strawson's work on Leibniz in his book Individuals. But it doesn't really matter if uh, Leibniz actually believed these things or not. Uh, you can call him Leibniz if you want. You can call him Leibniz asterisk if you want. The important thing is that we uh, uh, attach these beliefs to a proper name, right? And then I went to Germany to do a year of dissertation research in the Leibniz archives, and I encountered all of these dusty old German philologists who looked like they hadn't emerged from the from the archives for decades, who knew about things like watermarks, and who found the the earlier attitude that I had been trained up on in analytic philosophy to be incomprehensible. And so that's why I've always had this tempered understanding of the work of the, the you know, what Nietzsche calls the the hunchbacked philologists, right? Um, because if you don't try to root uh, what you're claiming in facticity, then um, you can just spin away altogether and start doing what people like Strawson did and just saying, I don't even care if what I'm attributing to Leibniz actually belongs to Leibniz or not. And then that gets us into this strange domain, which is maybe, you know, an important thing for us to, to consider where, where history starts to look a lot like what the word itself means in another of its connotations, which is storytelling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, listening to you talk, I'm, uh, tempted to make a you know big giant crazy claim. <laughs> These forms, uh, the thing that we're doing now, mm. um, thinking together, uh, talking, trying to understand something. This work uh, proceeds, um, and this is a metaphor, a, uh, a simile, much like the formation uh, of. Uh, the central nervous system, which is to say the work of sorting things out is a work of cutting links, mm -hmm. not, not, not so much growing links, but pairing uh, connections. Why do I say that? Because how one ends up uh, making sense of things is a, a work of disregard mm -hmm. uniformly your analytic philosopher types disregard a certain set of things in order to articulate their problems and answer them uh, your uh, philologically inclined uh, historicist history of ideas people are um, disregarding a different set of things in order to formulate their uh, questions the the plenum uh, doesn't offer many clear views, and a perfectly embedded relation to the manifold uh, offers no prospects, if mm. you see what I mean. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I guess I'm inclined at this point to just kind of make a crazy uh, claim, since I, I worry we'll run out of our time and, and get uh, goats bleeding or wind sounds. And I love... Uh, <laughs> 
I love church bells. So here, what's history? What's the nature of history? Um, History is the work of achieving historical consciousness. Mm -hmm. Let me try that as a definition. What do I mean by historical consciousness? You know, I think of uh, Gadamer's idea mm. of historically affected consciousness. Yeah, um, I actually, I wanted to uh, bring up the name of Gadamer all the way back when you mentioned uh, hi- uh, the idea of history as interpretation. So I'm glad you're, you're getting to him. If I just assert that uh, for me, what history is, is the pursuit of historically affected consciousness. Mm -hmm. I think what I would be asserting by that is that despite the diversity of activities that can be invoked under the label of history, what uh, is uh, aspirationally common from my perspective is the project of coming to an awareness of how time inheres in situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I can offer some examples of how this can work. Mm-hmm. Just as we were saying a moment ago, the awareness of the historicity of knowledge production Mm -hmm. cannot but inflect our experience of a knowledge claim. Mm -hmm. Right. Our coming to be aware of the ways that our moment and its documents and artifacts will function in the future as the stuff of the 21st century Mm -hmm. in addition to everything else that it is and that for folks from the future this moment and everything we do in it will have about it something of the early 21st century Mm -hmm. in ways that will be discernible right differently then than now Mm -hmm. this awareness this awareness of the uh horizon the temp, the essentially temporal horizon mm-hmm. of human being, that's the work of history. Uh-huh. Now, I invoked the, the importance of imagination. You uh, invoke interpretation and also a certain kind of generative dimension of history. And this makes me wonder if these are the dimensions where where we value in historical writing or in historical activity. Normally, you would think, well, at a minimum, there has to be some connection to facts in the past established by watermarks and documents and archives and so on. But I wonder in principle, theoretically, could one produce historical writing that detaches itself uh, from the facts of the past altogether, that produces its own 
new facts in the act of, of writing? Or is that going too far? Is that cutting uh, the kind of uh, tether that that has to be attached in order for work to count as historical at all? Um, I think within that highest, widest, deepest ambition, cultivating historical consciousness, mm-hmm. I see room for lots of different kind of what Greg Denning, the great um, Australian ethno-historian, called historying. <laughs> that sort of, you know, gerundive, verbal-like kind of uh, history work. Some of which could be the kind of thing you're alluding to uh, mm-hmm. somewhat, you know, again, um, polemically and and imperilingly for a conversation like this, because uh, to say, sure, there's history work that doesn't have anything to do with the facts of the matter of the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, a proposition like that could be mis- misquoted, misconstrued, decontextualized, uh, and made to stand for uh, stand in support of propositions I would reject. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, can historical consciousness be cultivated by means of historying that is... Um, primarily the work of the imagination mm-hmm. and operates um, very loosely with respect to the kind of thing that, you know, departmental colleagues will uh, correctly call um, historical facts. Mm-hmm. My answer there would be yes, um, but it's important not to reconstrue that as a kind of anything goes school of history. Mm-hmm. I'll come back and say it differently. Um, the reason that the cultivation of historical consciousness is so crucial is because I believe it is uh, inextricable from what makes us the beings we are. Mm -hmm. I think that um, human beings stripped of historical consciousness are um, more vulnerable to manipulation. Mm -hmm. They are uh, less well-equipped to confront despair. They are impoverished in their critical tools for confronting their conditions. And they are robbed of the most powerful tool by which apophatically to reach toward what's eternal. Mm-hmm. So the cultivation of historical consciousness is an essential human good. Mm-hmm. Therefore, within a pragmatic calculus of there being lots of bad things and lots of good things, in general, I am favorably disposed to activities that, in my view, uh, enhance an awareness of historical consciousness, because I think at present in particular, there are so many forces powerfully positioned and indifferent to historical consciousness, Mm -hmm. happy to defraud us of historical consciousness. And when I say historical consciousness there, I don't just mean um, knowledge of the facts of stuff in the past, Mm -hmm. because in fact, one can have an encyclopedic command Mm -hmm. of facts about the past from the past 
historical facts mm-hmm. and be largely without historical consciousness in the capacious sense I've invoked. And I consider that bad news. So I could talk more about what I take to be the imperiling forces that would cheerfully strip us of our historical consciousness. All those forms of knowledge and exchange, which replace the complexity of human personhood and human experience by machinic models Mm -hmm. that are more effective to the work of calculation and modeling. Mm -hmm. All of those, those um, kind of algorithmic redescriptions of the body and the mind, Mm -hmm. all of those militate powerfully against the formation of an inhabitation of historical consciousness Mm -hmm. at, Mm -hmm. in my view, grave risk to our well-being as individuals Mm -hmm. and um, in community. So mm, historical consciousness um, is incommensurable with mechanomorphic reductionisms and those are on the prowl for us and i'll stop there because i can see you want to say something else i I could go on but let's let's do that one as a big one there are moments when you're talking about historical consciousness where it starts to sound like you might mean something like rootedness within a tradition because you know as, as you say someone can um you know, be sitting in the suburbs and memorizing every single historical fact available on Wikipedia, uh, but still not feel attached to anything at all, and can will in fact likely develop such a me- mechanomorphic self-image uh, undertaking such an encyclopedic exercise. What seems to be missing there is tradition. But if you put it like that, it neutralizes the, the force of what you're saying, in other words. I mean, tradition is a really complicated mm. uh, and fraught term mm-hmm. in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, while I have some things to say about, uh, tradition and ways one can define it that make it directly relevant to what I'm saying right here, mm-hmm. I don't think it, it, it in any way covers what I'm feeling toward right now. Mm-hmm. The way in which that hypothetical person who has perfect command of Wikipedia historical facts but has failed to achieve historical consciousness, the way that that person, let's say, might have failed to achieve historical consciousness is if that person, despite knowing all of those facts, has not become inward with the fact that he or she or they is or in history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, right. Ubiquitously historical. Right. That the experience of those facts is the experience and possession of those facts of a person at the moment in time, the historical moment under the historical conditions in which that person is 
achieving mastery of those facts with the implication that that person's experience of those historical facts is itself historical and will be perceived as such by a person from the future retrospecting and discerning recovering because that is the magnificent dialectical continual refusion of horizons that is implied by historical consciousness when some person in the future goes to the trouble of attempting to figure out what it was like to be living in your basement in 2021 memorizing wikipedia historical facts that person in the future will discern the specific historicity of that form of uh, historical knowledge from that perspective, which will be elsewhere, but which itself will not be less ubiquitously historical, because this is what it is to be human, to live in time. And the ability to discern that temporal signature in ourselves and in the world around us is an essential critical resource. Mm. It's the tool by which we see that things not only have been otherwise, but uh, will again be otherwise. And therefore, it provides that critical distantiation that permits us uh, to conceive agency and change. Um, But it's also a consolation. It's It's a simple consolation, whether in the kind of... Um, stoic key of this too shall pass because uh, this is merely now, mm-hmm. or in a set of other kind of uh, keys of existential self-salvage that have, um, uh, as I say, a, you know, f- felt toward that which is eternal, uh, by kind of pushing it up from underneath uh, using time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is an awareness of this time signature characteristic of all of the domains of human activity that are fundamentally interpretative, uh, or is this unique to history? I'm thinking about, for example, engaging with works of art. Is this similarly something where you have to have this self-aware consciousness of the of the temporality of it in order for the experience to be what it is? Well, I mean, here we really like touch the hem of where things go truly crazy, right? Mm-hmm. This account that I'm offering of historical consciousness is itself historical. Mm-hmm. It will pass. It came into the world and it will go. And it is the sort of hardest work of a person committed to the work of history as I've defined it, meaning the cultivation of historical consciousness, to be mindful that it isn't merely that historical consciousness circumambulates the domain of all possibilities except itself Mm -hmm. and historicizes all aspects of our kind of cognitive and material and uh, intersubjective lives, but that it does so because it's eternal. Actually, Mm -hmm. no. 
what is most kind of bizarre is to consider in what ways this account of historical consciousness will prove itself subject to the changing dynamics of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's an excursus you ask about art. I mean, I would argue that um, art is a perfect example of that kind of gnomic business to which I was alluding previously, uh, namely the work of, of using historical consciousness to attempt to um, feel the interface between that which is in time and uh, that which is uh, just on the other side. Mm -hmm. Namely, for me, the kind of history of art is maybe best described as the history of efforts to assign some subset of human objects, achievements, to a category that escapes Mm -hmm. historicity. Mm -hmm. Which is to say, if a a quote-unquote work of art is merely a historical artifact, it's just a historical artifact, it's claim on us as an artwork within mm-hmm. i think the you know dominant traditions of aesthetics in the last at least 300 years to claim a work of art claim something is a work of art is to claim that it speaks across time escapes its historical moment in a very particular way mm-hmm. um, that it won't be held by its period mm-hmm. but that it comes loose Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, escapes its um, conditions of historical production mm-hmm. to become uh, a time wanderer uh, that can wander even to now and possibly into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in that sense, you know, works of art are a very special uh, historical category. Right? Uh, they are. Um, they are uh, like. Uh, the the angels that can walk outside of our temporal axis and its uh, directionality, mm-hmm. and in so doing, they set for us the terms of the possibility of understanding across time. Amazing. They invoke mm-hmm. such a thing because we are capable of ourselves achieving that understanding mm-hmm. interpretively that moves across or through time that permits these fusions of horizons Mm -hmm. Um, and artworks are in some sense uh, higher order entities uh, that have the capacity of affecting that uh, time travel uh, at least notionally Mm -hmm. without too much help now no art historian i think no card carrying art historian is going to be in any way satisfied by that definition but uh but if art is a category in any sense other than that, that we could uh, work out in a merely descriptive sociological sense, mm-hmm. I think what I've just said is um, the way you'd have to 
define it. Right, right. No, I, I brought it up only because it's uh, it's an example of another another more familiar object of interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 and if your definition of history is one that essentially involves interpretation, then I thought perhaps this better known object of interpretation might be mm-hmm. a means by which to understand what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's more to say about that because it, kind of as there always is the question of whether the uh, artness of a work of art requires uh, interpretation to be disclosed mm-hmm. is a, in the end, a kind of metaphysical question, which is not to say that artworks don't benefit from interpretation and, or that our relationship to them is not deepened and enhanced by interpretation. Um, but I'm myself sort of a, you know, partisan of that, uh, slightly mystifying Michael Friedian idea that, um, the work of art, um, discloses itself as a work in something closer to a kind of, uh, epiphanic manifestation that is more like, uh, grace. than like reading a message in a bottle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I've completely forgotten that you and I were doing a podcast here, Uh, but uh, (laughs) I think now I'm hearing church bells when you mention grace. Um, and it's funny, I mean, talking to you, I have to say it's never, uh, it never feels like a Socratic dialogue. Like, I don't think I could have a Socratic dialogue with you because there's something antagonistic about that. Like Socrates is there to be a bit of a jerk, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. whereas when I'm talking to you, I've just, there's something more Empyrean about it than, uh, the kind of whole vibe of the agora (laughs) Mm. Um, Mm. i just love to hear what you have to say and i think if we actually picked it all apart there would be some some points you've made today that i don't understand perfectly uh but nothing that felt like disagreement Um, i have uh you know how you wrap uh out these things i mean i'm I'm again reminded of the beautiful section of Gadamer's Truth and Method, where um, he asserts that the logic of uh, the interpretive sciences, the logic of of the humanities, the logic of uh, hermeneutics, is the logic of the question. Mm -hmm. Um, And that slightly jerky version of the uh, Socratic questioning uh, may be more, more Plato than Socrates. Maybe we can recover the kind of pure openness of Socratic questioning out from mm-hmm. under uh, Plato's reconstruction right. of that questioning as uh, a kind of leading by the nose. Right. Um, and I think Gadamer would himself say that it is um, the way that the logic of the question gives on to the open mm-hmm. as opposed to the logic of the answer, which uh, closes, uh, that is, you know, what is central to the distinction between understanding in the sense that was invoked earlier in this conversation and sort of, you know, knowledge. Um, Understanding is for us because uh, we 
live into the open. Um, mm-hmm. we, we have to use our understanding as we continue to live in time. Mm-hmm. Um, knowledge as you know, construed by these ob- objectifying uh, regimes and in its aspiration to be uh, without us in mm-hmm. its um, uh, crystalline perfections doesn't know about our need mm-hmm. to continue on into the open. Mm-hmm. It doesn't know about that. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would say the, that uh, even though I agree that these don't feel, uh, this hasn't felt Socratic in, in any sense, uh, I certainly feel in a conversation like this, whatever it amounts to or however it's heard by anybody who hacks their way through it uh, and listens, I hope that um, all through it resounds the logic of the question mm-hmm. um, as against the logic of the answer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me just say a few final words. First of all, please do search out in the coming months the book that Graham and I have edited together, along with Catherine L. Hansen, In Search of the Third Bird, which should be appearing very soon, or I don't know when this airs, maybe it will have appeared already from the MIT Press uh, and Strange Attractor Press. It's worth saying that that, uh, the book that Justin just invoked is itself very much about these questions. It is a kind of reflection on history and art. It's a reflection on uh, what one might describe as meta history. And though it isn't a sort of card carrying work of ordinary history, is it a work that uh, conspires in the work of uh, historical consciousness and the formation thereof? Uh, I would argue, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, this has been What is X? I've been talking with Graham Burnett today about history and what it is. My name is Justin E.H. Smith, and I'll see you here again next time. Thank you.